if you're consistent, there is going to be a period of time where the show starts to break. All shows find a natural peak, and yours might be a thousand downloads a month, but that consistency is just and cadence is just so key. Microphone check one two. What is this? You're now listening to a brand new episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Look what you started. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. We are joined today by Michael DeLoya. He is the chief executive officer of Evergreen Podcast. I was telling Michael before we got started, anytime someone can come and tell me as a podcaster how to be better and encourage other podcasters, we are glad to have them here. So Michael, welcome. Oh, it's a big thrill. Thanks for having me this morning. Now, the great thing about you and Evergreen Podcast, you are not just a podcast coach. You actually have a successful podcast network. Is that correct? Successful is always a relative term. <laughs> we started very humbly. We Literally, we our first office was in an old dental office. It was me and two interns. And this was in 2017. Somehow we got four shows out that year, four different titles. And I think we had 17,800 downloads for the year. This year we'll do about 280 shows, 21 million downloads as a network and it looks like we may double that download total next year. So I think we're on the path to success. Have we hit what I would want as the successful endpoint? No, but I think we've got the right team to make it happen. So how did you I hate to say stumble upon podcasting, but how sure. did you become interested in podcasting? I had hosted a, a few shows on my own, just flirting with it. My background is in tech and investment banking. So I'd been an investment banker for a good part of my life, doing a lot of technology deals. Then I started a few tech companies. Uh, I had sold one in 2013, 2014, about the same time I had a kid, my, my daughter. And so I wasn't doing anything for about a year and a half. My wife was getting a little nervous. She's a partner in a law firm and very risk averse. <laughs> and was giving me the nudge. Maybe it's time for you to get out of the house and do something serious. And she must have put something in the ether because soon thereafter, I got a phone call from an old uh, friend of mine who was in the tech space. And he was like, hey, I just interviewed for this job. And I told him I'm not the guy, but I know the guy. And you're the guy. So you got to call this individual who happened to be the founder of our company. It was Joan Andrews. So I called Joan. Turns out we're neighbors. She lives maybe a quarter mile down the road from me here in Lakewood, Ohio, near Cleveland. And we just started talking about media and her passions. She had started a podcast network originally called Front Porch People. And that's what I joined as CEO in January of 2017. And about a year into it, we figured out that particular model wasn't working. So then we switched to Evergreen. And since then, it's been a rocket ship. Wow. Now, at some point, you dabbled with government as well and help, helping a, was it a municipality with their tech issues? Yeah. yeah that's, I've always wanted to float in between government and the private sector. And I had a chance. I, I did 
I, I was appointed by the mayor of Cleveland to be what they called at the time the Texar, a very pompous name. But my responsibility was to invigorate economic development in the technology trades in Cleveland. And Cleveland is just an old industrial city, had a manufacturing past, and they were really struggling on the technology front. And I, you know, I'm happy to report we brought 37 tech companies into the city of Cleveland, into the city proper, most of which were near a theater district we have in, in Cleveland called Playhouse Square. So it's this really unique convergence of the theaters, technology, live, work, play. And it really started, it sparked a renaissance in Cleveland. So I was very, I was humbled to get the position with the city of Cleveland. I've always have suggested to people to serve the community in which you live. I think that's important. So I had my chance and for almost five years, it's just a fantastic endeavor. And it really set me, I, I believe, for success in my future, my upcoming career after I left the city. Now in your role as CEO of Evergreen, what are some of the, what, what are some of the opportunities that a podcaster, would-be podcaster, might have to create a thriving podcast show. If you don't mind, I'll start with the network side first, and then I'll, d- I'll dive down to the show. The The podcast industry has got just a world of promise that, to date, it, it really hasn't delivered upon, right? So you've got a nascent industry. Podcast industry is only $2.5 billion, which sounds like a lot, but that's really a small, mid-sized company. It's Radio, to give some perspective, is a dying industry, and it still did $13.5 billion in revenue this year. Linear TV, also a dying industry, probably did $40 billion. It's still a small industry. And from the network perspective, we're fighting the fact that there's probably too much supply, I, I hate to say. There's just a ton of shows out there, which have, I think confused a lot of the brands as to where they want to put their money in podcasting. The interest in putting money in podcasting, super high. The confusion is where to put those advertising and sponsorship dollars. So from our perspective, we see a great benefit of scaling. When I mentioned downloads, that is our biggest and primary response is, in fact, to garner as many downloads with as few shows as possible and to take that supply out to the marketplace in terms of advertising and and sponsorships. From the show perspective, it's how can I eventually build a a life-supporting endeavor for myself? I think that's what a lot of podcasters get into. But podcasting is just insanely hard, right? You've got to schedule the guests. You've got to do the production. You've got to do the editing. Then you've got to do the hosting and distribution. Then you got to sell, right? Because you want advertisers and sponsorships in your spot. So for the independent podcaster, it is, it's a heavy endeavor. And I think the independents are starting to wake up to the fact that they may need some support. And that's why they're heading up to the networks. In the early days at Evergreen, if you had a pulse in a podcast, you would probably get on the network because we were just so young and trying to get something together. As we've grown, obviously, we've started to see the aggregation in certain genres. For example, true crime is a large genre for us, uh, music, health and wellness, literature. And we just keep on adding shows in those particular genres. And we support the podcaster. Really, at the end of the day, we want the podcaster to simply produce the best show that they can. And we handle everything else for them. 
It's not to say sometimes it's a challenging partnership even with a network. As I mentioned, the ad revs haven't really materialized the way that everyone had hoped. Ad revs are typically and historically been focused on the top 100 shows are getting the bulk of the advertising. So if you're a Joe Rogan, you're obviously you're one of a kind. Right. And he's pulling in three or 400 million in revenue out of that 2.5 billion, which is significant from one show. So it's top heavy, but therein lies opportunity. We've been buying a bunch of podcast networks. We've been buying a bunch of independent shows that we've taken underneath our roof and We've seen just a dramatic increase in ad revs. It's still small, but we've grown 40% over last year and 140% over two years ago. And I think that's going to continue. Now, those are some awesome numbers from the network perspective. What are some of the things that you look for when evaluating shows that you want to actually add to the network? Yeah, genre is one of the lead things that we look at. Is it in a genre that we feel we can make a difference in? Sports, for example, is not a, a genre that we play heavily in. Only because there's just so many sports podcasts, and they're directed by just such large organizations: ESPN, FS1, you know, Barstool. There's just a ton of, of those out there in that sort of genre. Now, true crime is also pretty heavy, but we've got just a big grouping in that. So, genre being one, the host being the second, we really want to vet the individual and really gauge their drive and where they want to be. And it's okay if the show is in the low thousands, if we really feel like it's a genre and it's the host that we want to take on. I can give a great example of when we brought on Conflicted, which is a history podcast. He's probably doing 3,200 downloads a month. He has topped out around 100, 120,000 downloads a month. So there's been massive growth in that particular podcast and that's because he was just really committed to the cause and now we're trying to make it so that there's enough revenue coming in that it can be a lifestyle change for him so we, those are the two main things obviously we're looking at some other minor elements as well do you have a youtube channel do you have social that can support the growth of the show do you have an email list it's just a lot of things that looking to help support and grow the show. Are you open for cross promos from the network? Uh, if not, you want to keep it singular, you're probably not going to get on the network because we just we felt that cross promos are one of the great ways to improve the download capabilities of the show, get awareness for the show. Do you want to host? Do you want to be a guest on other hosted shows? So we have a whole plan once you join the network of elements that we we provide put you on a little bit of a press junket we do a press release to try and get you to the media get you hosted on other shows get the cross promos burning for you and then we start selling advertising so I, if i were to give like a quick vetting those are the kind of items that we look for not really the downloads all that does come into play and the truth is for a show that may be doing one or two hundred it's probably not the best fit but if you got a few thousand and it's historically growing, then yeah, that's a show that we probably want to talk to. So those are some things that make you attractive to the networks. But if I'm a brand new podcaster, what are some of the things that I need to do in terms of infrastructure to start building the podcast? 
That, that's, that's always the million dollar question. And one is consistency. What is your, how, like, how many times do you do a podcast? One is you, you got to decide on what, what your time frame is. Am I going to do it once a month, every week, every day? Dailies are hard. That's a big commitment. We typically like every other week. So we're getting 26 shows in during the year. Also gives you some time to get some pause, build up some inventory in case you go on vacation or life happens, right? You've got some shows that fill the void. So we're looking for cadence, consistency, quality of the recording. Those are things from a podcasting perspective that you can that you can control and build on your own. And those are going to be the, the elements of success. You're probably going to start with not nationally known figures as guests. And that's okay. You want to start and build your acumen on how to conduct an interview, if that's your format, and then build from that. Some of our earlier shows, the hosts are asking trailing questions, that question that never ends. <laughs> you got a one-minute question, like, where the hell do I start answering that? We train them to be succinct. Like, we do put them through training. This is how you should ask a question. And then you're the host. You need to sit back and listen. Add in some color commentary as you see fit, but really it's the guest who's leading the show for that 15 or 20 minutes. So this is a general thing, cadence, consistency, quality of the recording. Those are the main thresholds that we're looking for to build a successful show. Some other things you should think about, your hosting platform, your recording platform, your social media plan, how are you going to get these things out into the ether so people become aware of them. Discoverability is probably the most challenging thing any podcaster faces. And listen, we've listened to shows that were just extraordinary in terms of content, quality of the show, doing 50 to 75 downloads per episode. That's a hard row to, to complete. Sometimes the world misses out on great content. Think of how many great TV shows and movies that were produced that in the beginning didn't see the light of day or, or saw very little of it. Wizard of Oz is a great example of a movie that failed that somehow found a second life. Sometimes it's just luck, but we really feel like you've got the elements of success can, in fact, be consistency, cadence, quality. When considering that, do you have any recommendations on how to combine audio and video to make a more successful podcast? YouTube has become the second largest podcast platform, and I, I assume it will eventually be the largest and it's also your second largest search engine. So it's got a number of factors going for you. The point being, if you're doing a podcast, it should be in both audio and video formats. And obviously that calls into editing. They're going to be edited a little different. The audio is going to take out the ums and the ahs and the dramatic pauses. Where on video, I think that's just the natural flow of how people talk and expect that recording to be. You're going to have different intros and outros for the audio and video. So it adds a layer of complexity. But quite frankly, given the rise of YouTube in the podcasting world, it's a necessity to have both. And you can cut that audio and video content up into all sorts of promos and teasers that you can use. When we are bringing on larger shows, we're also reviewing their YouTube stats and their capabilities. You know, are, are they generating some ad revenue, even if it's modest on the YouTube side? But the point being, you, you got to have both to really have 
any chance of being successful. So when you mention YouTube, and I think about YouTube, with Google being the largest search engine and YouTube being owned by Google and being the second largest, right. I think about how-to content. So if I have a podcast that's not really educational, what can I do to make it more attractive on YouTube? The headline and the way you write your descriptions in YouTube are pretty key because you're looking for things in the algorithm, which changes all the time in YouTube. And to find those terms that are really going to be driving a lot of traffic. Recently, in our, we have a show called 5-Minute News, and we do these uh, quick videos called Explained. And in the summer, you may remember that submersible that unfortunately blew up underneath the water when it was down at the deep depths trying to get to the Titanic. We did an explain video on that with our host, Anthony Davis. And that, the way we structured the title and the description, plus it was a hot topic. That's another component to the, to the logarithm. Somehow you got to balance between what's a hot topic and what is evergreen content that can always be found. And that's can be a bit challenging. Point being, we got over a half a million views on that particular video and drove $1,200 in terms of just ad revenue from that particular video set. So it, it doesn't sound like a lot of money, but if you can be consistent in how many views your videos get, you can drive more revenue uh, for you just out of YouTube. That's not even, those are dynamically inserted ads out of YouTube. But if you can also sell ads or sponsorships into your own show as host red, you can find a lot of revenue to be driven from that YouTube perspective. But it is a challenge. We sit all, all the time in meetings. What are the best headline-grabbing ways that we can figure to, to captivate people's attention to click play? Now, I think we're starting to get a little bit more scientific about it, to be frank. So with the titles, are you changing the title from perhaps the Apple podcast title and the you and the YouTube title are they different is that different okay yeah yeah you never want to put in both actually I remember you go on you see episode one conversation with Michael who's Michael (laughs) why do you have episode no one's really searching episode as a search term they're searching for civil war or submersible or titanic right these are the things that they're searching for and that's the, the terms that you want to use you want to be very specific in your in, in both categories, although they would indeed be different because you've got dirt, different search engines driving how you do that descriptive term. It also helps getting transcripts embedded in your web page. All those things are going to help drive traffic back to the podcast for search. For a while, we were doing a lot of, especially, and I should know, like our top 20 shows in the network are driving about 70% of our traffic and the top 40 are driving about 82%. We've got 280 shows, but you're always going to focus on your top 20 or 40. So for a number of shows, we've decided uh, at some point this year that we were going to drive a lot of traffic. And one of the ways to do that was through, through search and using Google search terms to increase the probability of you getting found or discovered it's a relatively inexpensive thing that's another issue that a lot of podcasters have is budget for their show and how to get found 
but for relatively cheap, we're spending like 200, 250 per show to help them with the search engine, which was super successful. And before we get off today, I'm going to give some other tools that we've been using to help um, drive traffic for the shows. But it does help having that type of capability on the Google search side, SEO. Yeah. We can just step back for a moment and talk about cadence. Because you mentioned that for one show, you may be doing that um, every other week. So you have 26 episodes. Have you found that it matters whether you have weekly, bi-weekly, bi-monthly, or episodic versus serial episodes? Typically for our originals, we do a, we're do we doing 20 to 26 episodes a year on those shows. We do have specials that we've got. Countdown to Dallas, which is about the JFK assassination. Jackie O is another one. Yeah, I don't want to consistently dip back into Camelot, but those shows have been typically 8 to 15, 8 to 16 episodes, very, very serial-like. The problem with serial-like shows is that unless they're huge, driving huge traffic, they're hard to make money on. So you, the cadence is important to us because what you're doing is the more episodes you have in that back catalog, the greater your ability to sell into that catalog. The truth is about 40% of our downloads are back catalog on a monthly basis. We're pushing about 42,000 episodes in the full catalog, which is a, a lot. So it's important for us that you've got a consistent cadence and you've got a deep bench in which we can sell upon. Digital ad insertions are temporary. They get taken out all the time. But once we can offer up that back catalog, it makes a significant difference on how much revenue you can drive. But also from the host perspective, you want a cadence so that you get into the routine of making the content. And any change that's like, all right, I can't do it next week and that's my scheduled time to do it, either drop in a greatest hits with a new intro Hey, everybody, I got to take a break. I'm only human. But this week I've, I've pulled from the archives a pretty special episode that I had a lot of fun producing. And this is a great interview. I hope you enjoy it. And I'll be back in two weeks with a new fresh set of uh, podcasts. So never skip a beat, even with your cadence. If you're going to miss that cadence in real time, drop an old episode with a fresh intro. Keep that RS feed active and alive. So th those are key things that we use all the time. So what are your thoughts about maybe doing roundups? I know a lot of people do it at the end of the year or the beginning of the year. From a YouTube perspective, that's gold, right? That, that type of thing is going to get searched quite a bit in that December, January, and February, a logarithm cycle. So yes, um, we, we like those types of shows. It is a challenge because it's a lot of editing if you're pulling from older episodes. And so we try not to put too much on the podcaster. But if you're willing to do it, I think that's a great idea. Awesome. So I know you said that you, that you have some other tools you were going to share, and I don't want to step on your feet. So would you care to share those? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Let me grab my notes. Sorry about that. I'm inundated with so much stuff that I... And I'm getting older. <laughs> I just need older not older, better. Not older, That's right. More wise and mature. 
We, so we, on the hosting and distribution side, we use Megaphone. And so Megaphone has digital ad insertion. So when we bring on a show, as part of our onboarding, we're talking to them about what types of ads would you be willing to receive through digital ad insertion. And in Megaphone, that's the Spotify ad network. Uh, Spotify owns uh, Megaphone. Just recently, though, we've implemented what we call a, a waterfall. So for all that ad inventory that is not taken by our own sales or span as digital ad insertion, we added on top of that SoundStack. And so they're dropping in new digital ad insertion. So now we've got two ad networks essentially driving di digital ad insertion uh, for us. We've also started to implement new revenue campaigns or ways to drive revenue for shows. Now, they're really focused on what I would call the probably 1,500, 2,500 downloads a month greater. The, the, these are where these particular tools can be helpful. But one is called Podroll, which can deliver a $50 CPM. And so for those who are looking to drive a little bit more revenue, a typical ad insertion for a podcast is generally between 25 and $30, even in span. The problem with span is Spotify takes half. So now I'm down to $12.50 to $15 per CPM on digital ad insertion. And if you're on a network, I'm going to take a piece of that too. So it gets down even further, right? So the economics of just pure digital ad insertion are pretty slim unless you're selling direct to the ad agencies. Podroll, though, looks at your show. Let's say you have a history show that's doing, let's just 100,000 downloads a month. You can put in Podroll, and Podroll is going to put in a like-minded show right at the tail end of yours. So you'll get through your outro. We always like to put in a little sliver of, hey, if you liked this episode of Conflicted, you're really going to dig this episode from this other history show. We mentioned the title. And it drops right into that feed. So what is a typical conflicted show of an hour? Might be two hours because we've added an out-of-network show as a bonus into that spot. That delivers $50 CPM undiluted. So you're going to get that full 50 and obviously, as a network, we're going to take our we're like agents, right? So we're, we're always going to take our fee, and then that goes back out to the to the host. And these are significant incremental revenue components, and you know, we're we're pushing a lot of the bigger shows to take these types of revenue elements into it. Another thing that we're using is a tool called Introcast, and this would work even for the smaller shows, where in the second slot in your feed. So if I'm binging, play big faster, right? And on a Monday, I start listening to a number of your shows. That second slot's always going to be an introcast feed, which is a host read ad essentially for two or three minutes. And then it goes right into episode number two, number three, number four. I come back on Tuesday. It's in that second slot again. $50 CPMs. It's a little less intrusive than pop roll. But again, incremental revenue that, that is helping you drive outside of digital ad insertion, which is the primary revenue source for most podcasts. Most podcasts don't have an agency selling for them, to be quite honest. 
one of the benefits of coming on to Evergreen is that we do have an internal staff that is selling direct to the agencies, mostly for genres and larger shows. But if you get a genre pick and you're in that, you're going to get some dollars. So again, pod roll, intro cast. And then let's talk about growing your downloads a little bit. Consistency, cadence, quality all come into play. The ability to draft head, your, your titles and copy for the show description all help in discoverability. We use a tool called Trailergram that can help boost the downloads and the subscriptions on a show. Historically, a tool like this has required a minimum of anywhere between $2,500 and $5,000. And so for a lot of shows, it was just out of reach. Trailergram is democratizing this type of technology capability. So it's $500 a month, essentially. So what we've decided to do for 2024 is our top, we're going to start with our top 20 shows. And if they take pod roll or intro cast or both, we're going to guarantee them a $500 spend a month on their show through Trailergram. Trailergram, and we've tested this, has historically given us eight to ten thousand eight to ten thousand additional downloads a month for that five hundred dollars. Wow. You start calculating what can they do for your top twenty shows over one year time frame. And we've calculated that's an additional one point eight to two million downloads a year for a network like us, just on the top twenty shows. That can drive a lot of CPM. So if you do have the budget or the capabilities to do Trailergram at $500 a month, even if it's for a couple months, do it because it's going to drive awareness of the show. And Trailergram is essentially a digital ad that gets placed. You know, we're, I've seen our ads at Vanity Fair, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. You click on the ad and the episode starts playing. So it's a captivating little ad that's going to prompt people to listen based upon their likes. It's going after demos that are like-minded to your show, essentially. So we think these are some pretty powerful tools that we're going to be using in 2024, broaden out the network. And thankfully, a number of them are starting to become more democratized and available to the, the smaller show that's growing. So you've given us so many resources, but I do have another question for you. If you had just one more piece of advice or a podcast on how to play big faster, what would it be? Never give up. We've talked people off the ledge many times. Oh, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. It's the grind. And it, it is a grind. It's, it should be a passion, but let's be honest, even passions become a bit of a grind in life sometimes. So a lot of times we're really, we're psychologists or psychiatrists here at Evergreen of just t- talking people through problems or issues in their life. But if you're consistent, there is going to be a period of time where the show starts to break. All shows find a natural peak and yours might be a thousand downloads a month. It may be a million downloads a month. I really don't know. But that consistency is just, and cadence, it's just so key. It, and I like doing many different things at many different times. So being consistent for me is a learning lesson as a, an executive. Of you know, If we're consistent with our top 20 or 40 shows and how we generate revenue for them, 
how we provide marketing support for them, how we help them with distribution and marketing, these shows are going to be successful and they're going to get larger. So it's really, you got to be, the sophistication of podcasting, and this is going to sound crazy, is the consistency of your podcasting. That's where you're going to find your success. Awesome. So how can people reach you if they just have more questions about podcasting or if they have an interest in joining the Evergreen Podcast Network? They can always email me direct. I'm very happy. And we always give away the store. So even if you don't join Evergreen, you're going to get a lot of knowledge share from us because we just always felt whether you go with us or not and you're successful, that's just better for the industry as a whole. But I'll give out my email address if that's okay. It's MD. Yeah, sure. Thanks. MD at evergreenpodcast.com. And that's spelled M D E A L O I A at evergreenpodcast.com. And you can go to our website, evergreenpodcast.com. And there's an info. So you can email us. We do review it every day. It's always a surprise to see what's in that uh, email box because occasionally you get a surprise of a, for us, a show that's growing or a large show that's looking for a new home. You're like, wow, that is just great. And a lot of days it's just entrepreneurial people trying like, Hey, I got a podcast. I've got 500 downloads. What can I do next? And we're on that too. We just love talking to people about podcasting. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it was just a big thrill. Anytime I get to talk with good people like yourself about podcasting, which is a passion of mine and obviously yours too. It's just a big thrill. And I'll make sure that I include all of those links in the show notes. I appreciate that. Spreading the gospel. Thank you very much. (laughs) And until later, play big faster. Thanks for listening to this episode and remember to play big faster. 